For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, the conclusion to AZPM's week-long series on downtown Tucson's economic rebound. Find out about the future of Tucson clean and beautiful. Two lightning photographers talk about capturing the drama of the monsoon sky. And get a taste from last week's live Dimelo story-sharing event. That's coming up next on Arizona Spotlight. Some would say that downtown Tucson has slowly regained the nucleus of the city vibe that it had decades ago. But still, it's not a place for everyone. As part of our week-long series, Downtown Rebound, Sophia Paliza Ka visits a few iconic downtown spots and listens to people talk about the long-overdue revival. We're just here to do some shopping downtown, uh, just real quick in and out, and uh, it's not something we do very often. Ernie rarely comes downtown, but today he and his wife Alex are outside Wigo Rama, a downtown icon and longtime business. They generally avoid downtown because they feel it's hard to find parking. We don't want to leave a desolate area where nobody goes to. Uh, but I think just making it a little more easy on the parking. Uh, yeah, the and parking I think would help. The, uh, the, uh, the downtown trolley here is great. I've, I've seen that. I've, uh, I've no friends who drive uh, ride on it. And uh, so, yeah, I think improvements like that are definitely going to keep downtown alive. They're hopeful that in the future they will want to come downtown more often. But for the moment, Alex doubles down on the parking issue. It's just for me, it just would be the parking. <laughs> Inside Wigorama, a business open since 1972, owner Dum Young Kim is staying cool in her quiet shop. Sometimes I bought the keyboard and some I'm practicing <laughs> and then the boring time like that. You practice the keyboard in the store? <laughs> yeah, that's a no customer that time. She says it's not just hairstyles that have changed a lot in her 36 years there, but also Congress as a whole. Uh, there's a lot clean, you know, the street car, and then, you know, there's a before a lot of construction, but now the lot of change, the U of A, the dormitory over there, and some more pick up the business. But she still feels she could see even more changes. She'd like to see fewer bars and restaurants and more shopping options. I don't like the all kind of, you know, bar and, uh, you know, alcohol shop, everything. I don't like that kind. Something more the shop, you know, some traveler and then some... But I don't know, that's my uh, opinion, but you know, summertime is a business getting slow, mm. no traveler. So that's why we don't have any choice. Some other classic stores on Congress Street are embracing the change. Just down the street, the Chicago Music Store has been open since 1919. In February of this year, they moved out of their iconic corner building. Here's owner Mark Lefkowitz. Uh, yeah, somebody came in and made us an offer we couldn't refuse on the building, and it was way too big for us because, you know, everything in the music industry is downsized. People used to come in and buy huge sound systems, and now they're consolidated into smaller systems, and we just didn't need all that space. He says it was the right decision. I thought it was going to be traumatic, but it's been okay. It's much easier to manage. It's a very nice space. We're able to have everything in here that we need. 
and our customers like it. Back out on Congress Street, there are some people enjoying all the new restaurants and bars. Yeah, I do come, I'm here pretty much every weekend even if I'm not working. There's just a lot of places to be down here and there's a lot of, like you can take the tram anywhere you want to go and it's really fun. 19-year-old Madeline Linson has an ice cream from the Screamery in hand. She's worked in the box office of the Fox Theater since she was 14. I see a lot of young people and a lot of older people that want to be hip and kind of stay in touch with what Tucson has to offer. She says a major change in downtown over the last five years has been the significant decrease in the homeless population. I think so. I think when the homeless population had, you know, got as high, people didn't want to be down here. But now there's more control and there's places for them to go. So it's easier to want to be down here. However, ice cream isn't enough of an attraction for everyone. I mean, I'll go to the, you know, down fourth and stuff like that, but as far as downtown goes, unless I have to go to work, I really don't have any need to go down there. George Encinas remembers what the downtown of 10 years ago was like. He used to work at the old Greyhound station until 2005. Well, I started out as a baggage guy on the graveyard shift, uh, you know, just pulling bags off the bottom of the bus and stuff like that. Eventually worked my way up to the uh, bookkeeper of the place. But uh, for the most part, I used to work nights in graveyards, and that was when things would get really weird down there. And we were right behind, uh, right next to the Rialto, where the Cadence building is now. He agrees things are safer, but he misses the flavor of that downtown. Uh, the crowds were a lot different. You saw a lot more of the like, younger people, but not just like uh, young people in general, but more like uh, skateboarders, things like that. You know, just people hanging out, having fun, uh, not more unique looking people rather than the, you know, affluent crowd that's starting to show up now and families and things like that. So downtown is maybe a place in transition, used in a variety of ways by different people. And how are you doing today? I'm hot and I'm tired. I'm on my way, I'm on my way home. The corner of Stone and Congress, Bonnie K. Bruner pauses at the streetlight. I went to the library just to cool off. How was it there? It was very lovely. She lives at Casa Paloma, a housing center for homeless women, and often passes through downtown to get home. What does she think of all the construction and changes downtown? Quit putting up so many buildings around in one little old space. If you close one, you open another one. There'll never be L.A. Never. Try renting that building for homeless people. She says they don't seem to be for her benefit. For Dimelo Stories, I'm Sofia Palisakiar. You can hear all six stories in the Downtown Rebound series with pictures and videos at azpm.org. For 40 years, a volunteer-powered organization has been operating in Tucson, making improvements and starting programs that have positively affected the lives of many who may not have known who to thank. At the end of June, Tucson Clean and Beautiful Executive Director Joan Lionetti stepped down from the organization she helped found, and she's been helping incoming Executive Director Tom Ellis to get settled. Next, Tony Paniagua talks to both leaders about the future of the organization. Joan Lionetti is the former Executive Director of Tucson Clean and Beautiful, and Tom Ellis is the new Executive Director of the organization. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thank you. All right, Joan, so let's begin with you. What is Tucson Clean and Beautiful? I think some people still don't know 
right. how it plays into the community. Right. Primarily, it is a private nonprofit corporation, 501c3, that uh, started in 1985, became a Arizona Corporation. And so the first program was the Adopt-A-Park. And I came on board in 1987 and felt that uh, the community really wanted to do recycling. So we started the phone book recycling program. And that gave us a great deal of visibility and, and a tremendous volunteer base collecting phone books all over the place. Okay, I'm going to ask you uh, about your 28 years. Uh, how did you see it grow over the decades? Uh, being out in the community and really responding to community leaders as well as neighborhood associations hearing, we want curbside recycling, other places have it. So we worked with the community and the government became a bridge, so to speak, to move recycling forward. And then Trees for Tucson was started in 1989, and that was in, in response to global warming and climate change. Basically, all of our programs come from the community up. So, Tom Ellis, welcome to Tucson Clean and Beautiful. You've just uh, been there for a few weeks. Where do you come from? I know you were working for the city of Marana. What else do you want to say about yourself? Well, I, I have a long career, uh, too long, really. Uh, and most of it all has been on the land management side of parks and recreation and spent many years working in urban forestry. And why did you think this would be a good position for you? Well, uh, it's, it's just a natural bridge, natural stepping stone. Um, always have cared about the environment, wanting to... Uh, you know, improve it, preserve it, conserve natural resources. And in Tucson, uh, personally, shade is such a big issue for me that if I could uh, work a little while helping to put a better tree canopy out on the streets of Tucson and the region, that'd just be super for me. And speaking of tree canopy, Joan Lanity, I've talked to you recently where you mentioned that more than 165,000 trees have been planted since Tucson Clean and Beautiful began. And that's partnership with the community. I mean, we had um, an uh, energy conservation program uh, with Tucson Electric Power for 23 years, and Trico uh, is continues to be a partner with us. And uh, the community just responded very positively in wanting trees. Unique idea, isn't it, to want trees in the <laughs> desert? <laughs> Tom, so Tucson Clean and Beautiful does several things. Trees for Tucson, recycling, Adopt-a-Park, uh, Memorial yards. Parks, Yards, uh, which stands for Youth Landscape Maintenance Training. Yes. Okay. So how do you try to grasp all of this in your new position and run with it, if you will? Well, you know, if you, if you look at it, each thing that we do is interdependent. So everything kind of touches everything else. So uh, re recycling is not too far away from uh, a community cleanup, Adopt-A-Park. Uh, being in the parks along the street sides and in the washes is not too far away from planting trees and working with school groups. So it's all it's all interrelated. We've got a wonderful staff. Joan's done uh incredible job of pulling some dedicated people together and we have great relationships through the community that help keep us straight and forward thinking and one of the challenges of this organization we were speaking ahead of this interview is funding because when you worked for the city of Morena you sort of knew what your budget was going to be for the next fiscal year how does it work differently in Tucson Clean and Beautiful? Well, we're uh, very fortunate that we receive a strong support from the city and the county, but that doesn't take care of all the things that we need to do. So we depend on membership, 
uh, asking people to go to the website and sign up and become a member of Tucson Clean and Beautiful. We have some strong corporate partners out there that help fund us too. So we can take a little bit of money and then by matching it with corporate donation and memberships and in-kind donations, we can really see the effort grow and pay off. And it is really imperative, Joan, that the community get involved. How vital is your average person out there? Well, I, I think uh, the significance of, of the volunteers, without the volunteers, we wouldn't have any of our programs. So they're already involved on a grassroots level. But I think we need the support of membership of people perhaps don't have the time to volunteer or don't have the ability to volunteer in terms of when we're scheduling programs to support us through becoming members. And there's all levels of membership, but we do need financial support. What kept you going? What uh, gave you the most satisfaction over almost three decades at that organization? The spirit of volunteerism in Tucson, the people of Tucson and the community. People love Tucson that live here, and they really want to do things. All right. And Tom Ellis, moving forward, what is your goal for the next, let's say, five, 10 years for the organization? Well, you know, it's evident that uh, no one's going to replace Joan Lionetti. So my goal is to uh, just carry on the tradition Uh, Tucson and the Tucson region, the Sonoran Desert, what an amazing place that we're blessed to live in. And so being able to help continue that, improve that, uh, and and get other people to realize that is, is enough in itself. All right, Joan Lionetti, the former executive director of Tucson Clean and Beautiful, and Tom Ellis, the new executive director of Tucson Clean and Beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. Tom Willett and Jeff Smith are two award-winning photographers with diverse portfolios. Each was transported to Tucson when they were young, and each found a fascination with capturing the beauty and intensity of monsoon lightning on film. Next, we'll hear Willett and Smith talk about their work with producer Andrew Brown, who spent a stormy evening with each of them, waiting for lightning to strike. There's a bunch of good apps for weather and lightning and things like that, but it's also not as good as someone looking out and looking at clouds and driving. My name is Jeff Smith, and you spell it J-E-F-F-S-M-I-T-H. We're driving at at a reasonable rate to see if we can get out to a place where there's clouds that are building because it's ever elusive. I moved to Arizona when I was 12. I wasn't so happy in Arizona because it was boring and it was hot and then the uh, monsoons came and um, I went directly outside and gravitated to the lightning and my dad went out there with me and we just hung out and watched the storms. The first storms I started to shoot were probably in high school because I was in, uh, you know, yearbook and, you know, all different types of photography. I don't think probably too much is going to come out of this, but that's part of the deal. I'm Tom Willett. I'm a Tucson photographer. Right now we're kind of driving up northwest, up by Marana. Just because there's a there's a big severe storm right now over Tucson that's dropped a whole bunch of lightning bolts, but it's really it's only 5:30, so it's like two hours before we can even shoot yet um, because most lightning photography is done in the 
dark or dusk. We're trying to get out of where the lightning is now and trying to be somewhere where the lightning's gonna be in an hour and a half. I moved here from uh, Illinois. When we moved to Arizona, you could see everywhere because there wasn't trees and the big storms would build up on the Catalinas and move into the desert. And we just thought that was really cool. I'm thinking it sucks, unfortunately. I mean, it's kind of iffy that we're gonna get any kind of photo. The sun will probably pop through here when the sun's going down over there and it'll, you know, beautiful light will be coming through here and it, you know, you just don't know what you're going to shoot so you want to come out and look around. All your predictable parts like how many tripods, what lenses do I shoot with, which cameras do I set up, do I shoot this on film, do I shoot it on digital, all that stuff is the variables that you control. Damn, I almost would have got that. None of that matters if the lightning doesn't cooperate and do what you're hoping that it'll do. It's a lot like fishing, you know, just because you put your camera up doesn't mean you get to catch a big bolt. So, but it was fun to stand by the thing and try and take a lightning photo. And now we're off again down on the road to Wilcox. So. Maybe there'll be something better around the corner. The randomness of it is completely wonderful for me. We'll never get this moment again. Like, like we will never see this sky again look exactly like this. To me, that kind of looks like a mixture of cotton balls and the ocean. And so it would kind of be a fluid kind of something that they could feel. If the ocean was upside down, that's what it would be for me. I'm not really a religious person, but when we were little kids, we, we used to say God's moving furniture. And um, when you hear lightning really close, you know, it's like, oh, God's moving furniture. And so, you know, it's time to go out and shoot some storms. Tucson's a really great place to shoot lightning because we have large expanse of space and we have really dramatic mountains. Generally speaking, there's like dry air out to the west which keeps the sun clear, which makes this really dramatic side lighting come in on everything. There's such variety of landscape and mountains and storm direction and it's condensed into a certain area from 4th of July till sometime in September, there's gonna be storms. The thunderstorms is the monsoon, is what brings life to the desert. And so it's like all part of that too. It's like this whole axis that the whole, our whole environment pivots on in, in Tucson. It's not easy to capture what you see, but that's okay. I think the reason why I'm still out here looking for a photograph is only partly for the photograph. That was an adaptation of a story produced by Andrew Brown for Arizona Illustrated. You can see the video and examples of Smith and Willett's lightning photographs at azpm.org. 
A good book can offer many things to a reader. Each year in March, readers from all over the world gather at the Tucson Festival of Books. I asked some of them to tell me about a book they love. Hi, uh, my name is Monica Stoll. I go to the U of A. I'm studying material science engineering, um, but I love to read. I read constantly. Um, a series of books that I love is called The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. He's planning on writing 23 books. So far there are 15 out, and so far they're all amazing. It's an exciting adventure series about a detective wizard. It, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it gets to be kind of really intense and very exciting. There are all kinds of different twists and turns, and it's a lot of fun. My name is uh, Shazad Amjad, and I serve as the president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the Phoenix chapter. For me personally, the, the Holy Quran, which is the uh, religious text of the religion of Islam, has really been the greatest influence on my life. It tells the reader that it's a book for all times. So regardless of which century the book was revealed in and where we find ourselves today, the Quran encompasses some universal truths. Our technology uh, will change around us and the world will change, but human nature in itself still remains the same. And that's what makes the Quran so relevant today. Hi, my name is Karen Pietzmeyer. I'm from Sierra Vista, Arizona. I've lived in Arizona uh, over 30 years, and I'm in a group called the Walkabout Book Club, and we've been uh, together about 20 plus years, and my favorite book is Going Back to Bisbee. When I first came to Arizona, I saw this book, and I'm only 26 miles from Bisbee. I picked it up. It's a book by Richard Shelton, and his description of the deserts, the flora, the fauna, and the animals just brought everything to light to me. And uh, we've read that book in uh, our book club, and everybody loved it. And he's a local author. He writes about many other things, but this book is my favorite book. Hello, my name is Kazi Baker. I'm a student at the University of Arizona. I'm currently a freshman studying to be a civil engineering major. And uh, today I'm just here to talk about a book that I really love. Uh, Aljuis Huxley's novel, Brave New World, in my opinion, is one of the greatest books of all time. It's a book that takes a serious look at um, how government works, and it also does take a look at religion, which I think is really cool. It presents a dystopian society in a way that I rarely see in other books, in that the government controls people not by oppressing them, but rather giving them what they want in quantities to the point where they remain docile. There are societies outside of the government, which are referred to as the quote-unquote savage societies, and they basically just exist in, in squalor, in, in poverty. And one of these savages, someone attempts to indoctrinate him into the current society, uh, which is present in Brave New World. Um, by the end of the book, the savage realizes that he would rather have his freedom and his basic human instincts than to be um, under the influence of the government. My name is Andrew Strage. I just graduated from the University of California at Los Angeles, and I'm going into the Air Force as a personnel officer. The book that I really enjoy and I think everyone should read is Guns, Germs, and Seal by Jared Diamond. I actually majored in international development, and that book prompted me to go into that major um, because I thought it was really interesting. A lot of people take for granted that European civilization was the best and took over and that's just how it was. But I thought that looking at it from different perspective, from geography, um, I just thought it was a really interesting insight and perspective and a kind of different way to, to look at how we are today and how we got there. 
You can find more recommendations for summer reading. Search A Book I Love at azpm.org. On Sunday, Dimelo presented a live gathering downtown to celebrate a year of sharing stories and listening to others in our community. The host was Alicia Vazquez, a fifth-generation Tucsonan who currently teaches Chicano and Chicana history. Vasquez says she's a believer in the power of education, community, family, and punk rock. She delivered this poem to help start the show. Um, so I'm going to read you all a poem that I wrote. Um, before I begin the poem, I just want you all to know that the, the land that we're standing on right now actually existed inside of the Tucson Presidio. And the Presidio was built by the Spaniards for control, right? They sent their Spanish army up to the northern lands that they controlled. Um, and they built this giant wall to keep out the indigenous folks that were here first, right? So we might want to bring that back to today and where we're sitting historically and, and maybe put that into a little bit of context. I hate downtown. I'm angry because I remember when you could go downtown and not have to pay for parking. And the homeless folks could sleep on the sidewalks. And the crusty punk kids hopped trains to Tucson in the winter and were welcomed with food and blankets downtown. When $200 for jeans was unheard of in the storefronts and windows of boutiques that used to be dirt lots we'd park at for really big shows. When the MLK building's dream was racial and economic justice for the disabled instead of $5 ice cream, yoga, and a balcony with a view of a streetcar that cost $200 million, which could have been better spent revamping the bus system and bus station that toppled over the house where my blood was born. When developers stayed in the Valley of Gold or the foothills of the mountains their ancestors stole, the developers will never understand why I'm so pissed. At the glitter, they shot a pound downtown. The yuppies who now feel safe will never understand why an abandoned warehouse squatted upon or rented out cheaply by artists and addicts is more valuable than a formerly abandoned building with a faux brick revealed to show Tucson's rich cultural history. That's faux culture, you fools. You cannot buy culture something the developers and yuppies will never understand. And downtown is no longer safe for me, because me, the dumpster kid who didn't belong, belonged in the boarded up, dusty downtown when parking was free. Dimelo is part of a national initiative called Finding America, presented in collaboration with AIR, the Association for Independence in Radio, supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. You can add your voice and find more online at demelostories.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM radio studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood, with assistance from Isaac Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore.